Hello and welcome back to That Rugby Podcast. You're joined by myself and my main man, Husey. Husey, how are we? G'day, g'day. Yeah, good, mate. You know, um, obviously some big news during the week that we're going to discuss today. Um, uh, a, a decent bit of news during the week. A lot of stuff that we sort of already knew um, and just, yeah, it feels like there's an air of refreshment over Australian rugby. Yeah, yeah, you're you're going to be uh, for the listeners today. You're going to be listening heavily to Australian rugby today, um, just purely, obviously. You lucky things. <laughs> not a, not a lot of Southern Hemisphere rugby. Um, I know the uh, Super Rugby New Zealand sides jerseys just dropped. Um, got new jersey sponsors. Um, mm. So not seen Adidas for the first time in a very long time, uh, which is a breath of fresh air. But uh, as you just mentioned, um, but. Yeah, it's going to be an Australian rugby podcast, realistically, today. Just purely because what we're going to do is we're going to look into kind of the timeline of what has occurred dating back to Mr. McLennan joining the Australian rugby um, and then kind of where we are now and and who we are, what we are seeing for the future, yeah. bit of everything. Sort of how we got to this point kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, look, obviously the big news is that Hamish McLennan was... So it's two parts to this, and I think it's important to, to note this, to be absolutely fair to Hamish McLennan, is that he was removed as chairman, and then he chose not to stay on the board as a distraction. He instead decided to just fully resign and to step away and said, if I'm here, I'm just going to be too much of a distraction. So a, a little bit of falling on his sword after realizing he'd lost the support as chair. Um, and I think that's a, that's a wise move. I think it would just create a hostile atmosphere, and then you're always having people sort of looking over whoever the next chairman is always looking over their shoulder like if I put one foot wrong who knows if you know they might put Hamish back in um so yeah I think that is a is a good move by um both Australian rugby and Hamish McLennan I think sort of the lead up to the dismissal was not handled the best I think that McLennan probably should have seen the writing on the wall when the emergency board meeting was called like you don't call those board meetings unless you have the numbers right you don't you don't leave that chance because if you propose that and you fail you're equally as done so you're not bringing that stuff up unless you're certain you've got the numbers so Hamish should have said that and before speaking to the media should have spoken to some of those people who are voting and if he couldn't swing them over then at that point should have just said I'm not going to get the support here. I am going out and just called it quits at that point. Um, so I don't, I don't agree with how that was handled, but post then I think it has been, uh, has been handled better than expected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. We'll get onto the, the end at the end, but let, let's go back to the beginning. So May, mm-hmm. 2020 to start us off is when Hamish McLean joins as chairman joins the board and is uh, in the role of chair. Um, I guess Australian rugby's come for a pretty tumultuous time at this point. Um, even well, yeah, it's COVID. Point. Exactly. Um, so COVID just kicking off. Uh, there's a lot happening. Obviously, Super Rugby results haven't been going well, uh, specifically for the years prior to this as well. I think this was around the time that there was that odd 45-game win streak for New Zealand rugby sides against... Australian yeah. rugby side, so it wasn't a good time. Um, so obviously comes in. In 2021, um, Andy Maranos, uh starts as CEO. And this is 
uh, I would say a, a, a point to, to note because obviously pre um, Manana starting, the, the books weren't in order with Australian rugby either. And so that was a no. big thing that we do have to, I think, note here um, is as much as McLennan may have done some things that have obviously annoyed some people, these two together managed to some somehow write the books that, that were looking very ugly. Yeah. 100%. And I think that is going to be... I think McLennan's legacy is going to be a two-note... Two oh, no, a three-note thing, really. Uh, and two of those notes are very close related. But the, the, the big note should be, yes, that he's brought Australian rugby back into the into the positive, right, from where it was sitting. Um, and as poor as this Rugby World Cup showing was... You're right. When they took over, I think it was in the middle of that winning streak, which wasn't snapped until 2021. Um, so that was a, a big deal for um, them to sort of put things in the right pack, path. And I think if you even look at where Super Rugby is going into this next season, Super Rugby Australia, the teams are looking stronger than they have in previous years. So I think they, those two, Hamish and Andy, um, that's really uh, that's really funny. I just realised it's Hamish and Andy, which is <laughs> wow. For for the, for those of our listeners who weren't around in Australia in the uh, 2020s, Hamish and Andy are famous comedy duo in Australia. Uh, that's really funny. Um, <laughs> they should have uh, uh, definitely done it. Yeah, McLennan and Marinos. Let's call them. Let's call them McLennan and Marinos. You know, and make it sound like a law firm. McLennan and Marinos. What they 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 have elevated rugby. Uh, in in Australia, right? I, I personally would not put the latest Rugby World Cup failing squarely on their shoulders. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the standard, you know, obviously it hasn't, it's not where it has been in previous years, but I don't think on their watch is when that decline has started. I think it's essentially like there's a, been a boulder rolling down a hill and they've done their best to stop it and in the process have been squashed. However, you can't separate um, McLennan's legacy and to an extent Marinos's legacy with that of Eddie Jones. Um, And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're coming up to that in a bit. Um, So I'll leave that until then, but I will say when they took over Australian rugby was in dire straits. Agreed. Agreed. Um, And then, and then obviously a massive amount announcement happens the uh, beginning of May in 2022, uh, Australia win the right to host the 2027 Rugby World mm. Cup, which it's a big win early a, in their tenure. A massive win and gives you this idea, you know, like 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 all of us are still thinking, we've got a 2023 World Cup where even if we compete and, and have a, a good run, um, then we've got a 2025 British and Irish Lions series to a 2027 that the next five years is going to be a pretty successful and fun time in Australia rugby. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, that's the, it's the beginning. And then after that, there's going to be an Olympics in Brisbane as well, which will have rugby sevens at it, at least maybe some other rugby-related sports as well. So it's a, it was a time for a revitalization of rugby in Australia. Yeah, agreed. And then in August 2022 is when we start hearing the rumblings of Australian rugby looking into an idea of Super Rugby without New Zealand. Now, again, it wasn't so much that, but it was more, um, will the Australian rugby teams be competing in Super Rugby or will we look to make it their own domestic competition? This came with 
the idea that Australian rugby weren't getting enough money compared to their New Zealand counterparts and they wanted a, a fair share, a uh, slice of the pie, as as they put it back then. So McLennan kind of yeah. leads that charge uh, along with uh, uh, Madanos and goes, look, we're not happy. We will do this if it comes to it. Puts a bit of pressure on New Zealand rugby. Eventually, December 2022, Super Rugby deal gets done. 12-team comp uh, can be extended all the way till 2030 and gives us a bit of a a backbone Australian rugby know where they're going, get a bit more money um, out of the New Zealand rugby pockets and they're yeah. heading in the right direction. Exactly. You needed that sort of staunch leadership that, um, you know, essentially sticking your head above the parapet there to put, put yourself in the firing line by coming out with those strong words, right? He's at that point he made himself, that was the time where he, I think he really came into the public view as, Oh, this is the face of, executive rugby in Australia um, and he's coming out swinging, you know, uh, this is, you know, this is, this is a big deal. You know, this is what he, he's willing to make hard decisions that he thinks is, is right. Um, and look, even if someone makes the wrong decisions in those cases, at least you've got the guts to, to make a decision. Um, and I think we, we, we discussed at the time um, and eventually a deal was signed through 2025 with the possibility of extending beyond that. I think that's smart. I think that's a good call by both sides. I think for New Zealand rugby, they need they need Australian Super Rugby up to that point. So don't I don't know, right? Like, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. Would a Super Rugby competition exclusively within New Zealand do well enough to survive? I don't. I personally, I don't think so because part of what is enjoyable, at least I can I can only imagine for New Zealand rugby fans, is watching those New Zealand rugby teams beat the Australian ones, right? <laughs> and that does draw viewers, right? Um, and you get those thrilling games like Brumbies versus uh, Canes, like we got uh, earlier this year a couple of times, you know? Um, you set up, and that's a rivalry now. That's the, I think that's a real, real rivalry, Brumbies and Hurricanes, because, you know, Brumbies have knocked the Canes out of the finals a couple of years in a row now, and the Canes have gotten revenge during the season and things like that. But, hey, it's not finals time, so it doesn't really count. Um, and I can imagine you as a Canes fan is is spoiling to to um, cull some Brumbies next year. Uh, so you know you get those added layers in there. You get th- you get exciting things that happen like in 2022 when the Waratahs knock the Crusaders off and things like that. You know you get those extra extra layers. And yeah. I, so I think that's a smart deal for that time. Now whether that is going to continue to be the right deal is yet to be seen, and that's why. Up, they put it up until 2025 with the possibility of extension. So we're only guaranteed two more years of Super Rugby Pacific, right? We don't know what's going to happen after that point. And they, the Australian rugby, New Zealand rugby, the Pacific Nations rugby, and to an extent Argentinian rugby and Japanese rugby are going to have to decide what the future of that competition is. Yeah, and and I like what you said. Like I, I We look back at the time when we split uh, during COVID and had our separate Super Rugby comps. Australian Super Rugby comp was their best version of Super Rugby that they're going to get with winning comps yeah. and being able to do it. New Zealand Super Rugby just wasn't sustainable because you're playing at such... And this is not... this At the time, again, we've got to remember, Australian rugby wasn't as fiercely competitive. So New Zealand rugby, it was you were playing hard, like physical. I remember the players coming out and saying, there's no way we can sustain this continuously, season over season, just playing four teams... 
uh, for other yeah. teams and, and stuff like that. I, it's just not a continuous... It's it, it, Australian rugby is needed just to give them the break from the New Zealand style rugby and the same probably vice versa for Australian rugby unless they added more teams, which, again, that we, we won't know until, like you said, 2025. But I imagine with the talks Argentina coming back in, um, yeah, it'll be... Super Rugby, I guess, is, is yeah, got a couple of years to see where it can go and then give us a bit of an idea yeah. of their Well, I imagine plans. we'll hear something next year on that because I imagine they have to make the decisions next year for what happens in 2025. Totally. So stay tuned for that. Um, then, after all this kind of happens, we have the massive announcement of Dave Rennie being sacked and being replaced by Eddie Jones. Hamish McClendon's first kind of... I guess, uh, a bit of a gamble, you'd say. At the time, it didn't feel like a gamble. At the time, it was more of a, I guess it was more of a Eddie Jones brilliance. Can't believe, again, we sat there and said we can't believe England let him go. Um, Dave Rennie didn't have the best percentage, obviously not the worst coach in the world, but didn't have the best winning percentage. So it was a very slight gamble um, that yeah. you kind of expected to, to pay it pan out um but yeah that was that was the first was, sign yeah, the, of trouble the, uh, the odds were favorable right i i don't think you would have found many australian rugby fans at that time if we're being honest if we're looking back to january of this year if you I did a poll of australian rugby fans you would find that 85 percent or more of them would have been happy with the decision to sack rennie and to put eddie jones in right so as much as Jones's failure this year is going to impact the legacy of McLennan and Marinos, I don't think it's fair to say that they should have seen that coming. I think they were given a gift horse only to find out it's lame. You know, it was, they've been given a lemon, right? It's a, you know, it's a, it's a Porsche exterior with a Hyundai interior kind of thing. So <laughs> just, yeah, not good. Yeah, no, and and again, like uh, the way you said, I think most fans would have seen that move and gone optimistic. Like Eddie, yeah. Eddie knows how to play World I Cups. I was, yeah, honestly, uh, I was. And again, I, I'm sure I've said it, I said it on the pod earlier that uh, I was I was a bit fearful going into the Blitz. Like you don't know what Eddie brings, you don't know what this, that all of this stuff. Obviously, there was a lot. Um, so yeah, that happens. Big news, obviously, in the world of Australian rugby. They then back it up in uh, the end of March with the Joseph Sialiti signing from the NRL starting in 2025 um, for three years for him um, to be signed on, which is, I think at the time was a big signing. It was a big statement move. Again, another one of those, yeah. the odds would have been good that it's going to pan out and everything like that. You'd rather have him than not have him yeah. type thing. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, and I think it still is going to be an exciting move. Australian rugby you know it's, again it's not happening until 2025 uh, and I think Suwali has done the right thing he's played it the right way he's he's honoring his contract he's not skipping out on anything but he's coming over for an experience and even if he only plays for three years 2025 2026 2027 I think he will add to the Wallabies and to the Waratahs I think he will bring in the extra numbers for things like the British and Irish Lions Tour and the World Cup and if he chooses to go back to rugby league after that Got on him. He's played out his contract. If he chooses to stick with rugby, great. You know, there's plenty of heads that have been turned uh, like that as well. I don't believe a word that comes out of Nick Politis's mouth because he says the Roosters are within the salary cap. 
and there is no possible way the Roosters had not been breached in the salary cap multiple times in past seasons. So uh, I definitely do not believe a word that he says, where he says that he's been given a verbal commitment by Joseph to come back in 2028. You know what? how much a verbal commitment is worth? The paper it's written on. And the reason I say the paper it's written on is because it's verbal. There's no fucking paper. So that's exactly how much it's worth. Nil. So, and even if he follows through with that, whatever, good for him, good on him. He's going to be, he's going to give some good service to Rugby Australia, I hope. Uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a win-win move for rugby. It's, it's a winning move for Rugby Australia because, you know, let's be honest, you sunk a couple million into this kid. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a whole lot. Now, if you've gone out and poached five league players, say, with with million dollar price tags attached to each of them, that's when you start thinking, okay, now we're talking in the tens of millions of money going to these couple of players. That seems perhaps a bit excessive to me. I think one, two players is enough, you know, uh, unless you're luring over the likes of like Nathan Cleary or something like that, then get as many of them as you can, you know. <laughs> uh, but when the, when there was the rumor of Angus Crichton, who many people said backed out of the deal, in fact his deal was pulled, uh, then I, I, Angus Crichton was one I was thinking. I don't agree with with that move. Like he's just a he's a name at this point. He's a good league player. I don't think he is a good enough union player to justify the price tag that he was going to attract. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to agree with that. I go, the only reason you'd sign Angus Crichton, it wouldn't be the Wallaby sign him, it would be a Super Rugby club going, we want Angus Crichton and we'll get him on for a deal that would match yeah. his, his NRL salary. You wouldn't be paying overs for him. Um, after after that signing, though, there is a disagreement by, between McLennan and Midanos, um, and Annie Midanos steps down. So you lose your CEO. He is uh, from 2021 to 2023, managed to turn the books around a bit. Um, there was some belief it was a disagreement over the Suali signing, um, that he wasn't in favour of it, um, whereas McLennan obviously was, and that kind of started the split. However, as, as good as a job as he did, we then get June the 6th, Phil War, Australian rugby legend, takes over as CEO, um, which... And it, what, it trusted Australian rugby legend, you know what I mean? Like... Uh, just a, a sterling reputation as someone passionate about rugby, a good bloke. It's it's you get the sense that it's not just a business guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yes, it's necessary to have that acumen, and you know rugby players tend to have built that and build those types of careers more so than rugby league players do post career. You know, you just only, only need to look at John Eels as a brilliant example there as well, um, and and someone that the Super Rugby and state unions can trust, which I think is 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 really the key point with Phil War, is that he doesn't need to be the the best businessman. He can surround himself with an executive team that can accomplish those things. He needs to get this, the unions aligned with Rugby Australia, centralization or some other model, which you know that that is one of the key things that he is doing. Um, he needs to get the state unions back on board and. Uh, have Australian rugby unified and moving together. And that he, I think he's the perfect guy for that. You know, he's, as I said, he's got a great reputation. He's the trustworthy face. Uh, you know that when he says something, he means it, right? Um, and he's, uh, that's that's from the union's perspective. From the player's perspective, you know, he's a CEO who's been there and done that and understands what it's like to be a player and, and what they need to succeed. 
you know, he has had success in that arena. He knows what it takes to be great. So uh, for, from the player side and from the union side, it's a great hire. I think when you're looking at the business of Rugby Australia, he's probably, from a business perspective, not the first choice. But I think it's a great recognition. I think it was a great recognition by the Rugby Australia board that rugby isn't just a business. It is also, it's a sport and it's a, it's a commodity and it's a collective, right? It is, you know, Rugby Australia doesn't exist without the state unions, right? Rugby Australia doesn't exist without the players playing, right? Uh, Rugby Australia doesn't exist without people going out on Saturdays and Sundays and playing footy. So it's, it isn't just a business where you're not just manufacturing a product in a factory somewhere. You're not selling a service out of an office block. You are, there are human beings involved playing a game. Um, they are playing, they're athletes competing against each other. And that needs to be brought back to the, the focus. You know, you've got the books right now, as we said, Hamish and Andy have done a great job with that. <laughs> Every time I say it, I just fucking can't get over it. Um, McLennan and Marinos have done a great job with that. And potentially they could have continued to do a great job with this side of things as well. However, I think war will do a better job of this side of things. Yeah, and I think at the time, the appointment, like you said, I think it was good for Rugby Australia. People didn't quite know how for, like I was, I was, I was, I would say I was tentative. Like you don't know what a ex-rugby player is going to be like as a CEO. From yeah, today, from that day, from when he was taken over to today, he's shown nothing but absolute class in his communication, which we've always harped on about has been terribly poor from Australian rugby, but he seems to go out there and, Managed to tell it as it is. His willingness to be anywhere, his willingness to do anything yeah. to take Rugby Australia to the next level, which is great. He's worked hard. I've just seen photographs of him everywhere, you know, yeah. attending all these different events, supporting rugby at all different levels. It's fantastic. It's exactly what it needs. Men and women's game. Like that's a huge key for Rugby Australia is, is recapturing the the women's game. Like we've got, you know, you start, you're starting at least on an equal footing with, with league. I mean, league might even have a little bit of a lead at this point, I would say, um, but, you know, recapturing it and making that big, because I remember a few years ago when the women's game was really big in Australia, particularly the women's sevens, and it's definitely dropped off. So I think that is something that is key to re recapturing Australian interest in it. You know, if you have a women's team that has success, people will support them. We've seen this with the Matildas, right? We've seen this with NRLW. Uh, we've seen this with NRLW State of Origin, which has now expanded to three games. We've seen it with the NRLW um, uh, Jillaroos, I believe, is the um, Australian women's team. And is it, the, is it the Silver Ferns for New Zealand or is that the women's union team? Silver Ferns is our netball team. Black Ferns our rugby team. Uh, what is our league girls team? I wouldn't have uh, New Ferns. Zealand women's league team. The Kiwi Ferns. Silver Silver Ferns are the netball team. Yeah. Black Ferns. You got so many bloody ferns. Black so ferns. many ferns. Remember, you remember the Black Ferns because you, you sit there. Oh, yeah, I remember that, that now because it's a silly name that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Silver Ferns make so much more sense. Even Kiwi Ferns make sense, you know? Why does that make sense? I just... Because you can have a picture of a kiwi and a picture of a fern, <laughs> right? The fern, they're not... They're not descri- the kiwi isn't... Descri- and they are the kiwi as in the New Zealand ferns, right? So that makes sense as well, right? The black ferns doesn't make any sense, though, because the fern itself is not black. But the jersey's black. But you're not... The 
The black isn't describing the jersey. The black is describing the fern there. No, 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 no. That, that's the idea behind it. Is the jersey's black, so it's the black ferns. But... Okay. That's all right. Let's get back on to so Aussie the, rugby, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I sort of get, I sort of get it a bit, a bit more now. It's like if you said they were the blue ferns and the jersey was blue, but the fern was still silver. Like, exactly. I think if you need to have another fern team to really make the black ferns thing good. Like, if you have like the white, ferns, like a, yeah. another yeah. an Islander team that's called the Red Ferns, and they have a red jersey with a silver fern. I'd be on board. I'd be totally on okay. board. As it is, the blacks unnecessary. No, it could just be the ferns. There's no other fern teams out there that you need to differentiate yourself by colour. No, but the, but see, no, there is in New Zealand because there's the silver ferns. So if you, ah, so like okay. this is why they do it. But, so, and again, I know, but like the silver ferns, if they okay, just call themselves the, silver, the ferns, is the silver ferns jersey silver? No, they're black. <laughs> no, but you've got to. So, so if we just called them the ferns. You would. Yeah. You, what fern are you talking about? Yeah, this I get you've got. To, I get you've got to. Differ, I get you've got to differentiate them. But if you're going to differentiate yourself like that, incorporate it. Yeah. I, yeah whatever. Anyway, I'm just being. I'm just being pedantic. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm being. I know. I'm being. <laughs> I know. I'm being pedantic and picky here. But damn it, New Zealand, do it right. <laughs> back to back to back to Australian rugby. Um, yeah. But I, again, I like what you said again with full war, the women's game, and, and what I just wanted to mention quickly, as we as we know, Australian loves winners. You know, yeah. biggest sports in the world for Australia, cricket, just fucking won another World Cup. Don't seem to fucking lose it too e. often. Um, then AFL, obviously, only sport Australia plays. So, well, only Australia plays, so you get winners. Yeah. Um, and then NRL, which you are heavily successful, the biggest event is... The state of origin, which is two Aussie teams. So Australian loves winners again, like you said. When the uh, Socceroos are doing well, their level, like the the level of support, rises pretty quickly. So Australia needs to get back to winning. Again, women's sevens, I think, lost last year, and that probably took a little drop out of them. Um, women's rugby for the first time beat like France in ages, beat uh, Wales. So there are yeah. they are building blocks in in all of these games where they can come to winning. Back to Australia yep. losing, though. And July 9th, first game in the rugby championship, Australia get dominated by South Africa in South Africa, 43-12. to 12. And you start to ask a little bit of questions, but you give Eddie the benefit of the doubt, first game in charge. Hard, hard place to play where we haven't won since the 60s, I think. So Exactly. But did talk a big game as he came in. Again, didn't work out. It's fine. No. They would then obviously go on a run and lose every single rugby championship game, lose to Argentina at home, lose to New Zealand in Melbourne convincingly, and then head over back to New Zealand, put up a good fight in Dunedin where you kind of thought potentially there was something there, yeah. there was an opportunity, there was, hey, this team's all right, go on to lose that game because of Richie Mwonga. Then comes, I think, D-Day in Australian rugby, which is August 11th, 2023, where we will look back and just, I guess, bemusement a lot of people, where Eddie Jones yeah. named his Rugby World Cup squad. Mm. Now. It is, uh, yeah. Look, yeah. I think at the time, you you sort of sit in there, and you're like, I can, I can sort of, you know, you can sort of understand. But at the same time, there were, like for me, I could, see, I could see why he left Quaid out of the, the squad and was naming... Carter Gordon the starter because you don't want Carter Gordon looking back over his shoulder like 
if I make a mistake, Quaid's going to take my spot because Quaid was the starter. But what I don't understand is then why don't you bring Bernard Foley into the squad as the veteran and dedicated backup, right? Rather as opposed to utility Ben Donaldson, who has no experience on that stage. But the 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 unforgivable move move, which at the time I thought was purely because of injury and that he would be brought back in the squad after he recovered, was Michael Hooper, which is that is unforgivable in, in my eyes. Like I could see not naming him on the initial squad because he's injured, but as soon as that man is healthy, you should bring him back. There, there is no Wallaby squad that you could name that would be worse for having Michael Hooper in it. In in no world. If Michael Hooper is at 95%, he makes that team better. If Michael Hooper's at 90%, he makes that team better. I Michael Hooper, anything 60% and above makes that team better. Right? Yeah. You cannot tell me any anything else. And especially when you look at what the locks, uh, sorry, what, what the flankers did for Australia in the World Cup, which was not a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot. You can't tell me that the squad wouldn't be better to have Michael Hooper's leadership in there. The other one that really puzzled me, and this showed in the World Cup, I think, was not bringing Len Ikatau back after he had recovered from his injury as well, because he was healthy during most of the World Cup. So why don't you recall him? He was he he, he was playing really well at outside center. Like I he he had really impressed me. Uh, so those omissions, those three omissions, you know, I could, at the time you could see the reason for it. So when you had the World Cup squad named, I personally didn't flip out because I thought, okay, this isn't going to be the final squad, right? The Rugby World Cup's a long event, right? People can be injured and come back. You know, you can name a squad later where these guys are recalled, right? Maybe not Quaid, like I could see that one because if you're gonna stick with Carter Gordon, if you think Carter Gordon is the guy, and you're gonna you're telling him he's the guy, you don't want him looking over the shoulder at the guy whose job he's just taken. But bring Bernard Foley in. Then later on in the World Cup, where those corresponding moves don't happen, and you don't bring Hooper back into the fold once he's healthy, you don't bring Ikatao back in once he's healthy, you don't elevate a Bernard Foley, but instead you play an untried, untested Ben Donaldson in that spot. That's when you go. Oh no! When he said they weren't in the squad, he meant like completely, like they weren't going to represent Australia at this Rugby World Cup at all. And that's when everyone's like, "Oh wow, we have." That's I. I think that point, rather than necessarily the world, the squad naming, was the point where everyone realized, like, "Oh, he's lost the fucking plot." <laughs> like that is when you sort of we sort of sat back and like, "Oh no, there isn't a master plan. There isn't a master stroke. There isn't a rabbit in the hat." There is no magician's trick. This has all been straight up from the start, and this has just been terrible, right? It's it's the it's it's the emperor's new clothes, is what it is, <laughs> right? It's you know at the time you know everyone's thinking he's weaving this magical garment. At that point, when he didn't recall the players, is where the emperor stepped out onto the balcony. And everyone realized, holy shit, the emperor's naked. You know, that's what's happened. That's what that's what's happened at that point. At this point, where he's named the squad. We're all still, he's still beavering away in the workshop or the, the workers are still beavering away in the workshop. We, we all, that's what we think. They're all there weaving away their magical fabric to put together uh, a fantastic new garment for the emperor. No, he wasn't doing anything at all. He was just wasting time, wasting money, wasting potential, wasting careers. Unforgivable. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with those statements. I think, yeah, the, again, as a, just selecting one, well, one fly half to me is just, 
strange choice and it was strange at the time. But you backed him again. You, you said Eddie knows Rugby World Cups. Eddie knows Rugby World Cups. Um, and then, yeah, oh yeah Hooper, will, I'll never understand. But from that, the cracks start to appear pretty quickly after. 20, August 17, 2023, the attack coach walks out. Sorry, I haven't got his name down. Mm. Um, I should have had that. But, uh, yeah, he walks out just... Was, was it Latimer? Jason Latimer? Be uh, me if you've got it, but um, I'll find it. Yeah, uh, he walks out so a day before they're about to leave for the Rugby World Cup. Brad um, Davis, sorry, Brad Davis. Brad Davis. There you go. He he walks out, and again, Eddie Jones has been notorious with his coaching staff as being a, a bit of a dictator, leads with a strong uh, iron fist. Um, and again, this is just another little little murmur. Then um, Australia play their first game in the Rugby World Cup. It's a success. They beat Georgia. Eddie Jones finally gets a win. How great. Um, and then they go on to lose to Fiji, lose to Wales, and then for the first time ever, be knocked out of a quarter for, uh, but be knocked out of the pool stages of Rugby World Cup. From that, there are some rumours that start circulating that Eddie Jones is moving to Japan. Now well, it's before it's before the losses, even. It's but it was on the eve of the Georgia game, I think. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was during it was during the World Cup, which was the biggest thing. Which was, you know, I think it was like on the evening of their first game, of before their first game, those rumors started circulating. Which it was hard to fathom at the time to think that in, in you 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 have a World Cup game the next day and you're taking an interview. That for me was hard to fathom. And to be honest, I still don't a hundred percent believe it. I don't think he he's ever come out and said, yes, he's taken interviews. I could be wrong. Um, but I know that uh, McLennan's, one of McLennan's last few statements after the World Cups was he had never been, had never, Eddie Jones had never said to him that he had taken those interviews. So I don't think that's ever been confirmed that he did take those interviews. I would, uh, look, I would be, sh- I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if he had a call from um, Japanese rugby that he's taken where they've said, hey, if this Rugby World Cup goes south, come back to Tokyo or something like that. I would be shocked if that happened. I would be shocked if he had a full sit-down interview process where he laid out his plan for Japanese rugby while he's preparing to coach a World Cup because, A, that jeopardizes his current World Cup opportunities, which would jeopardize any future job opportunities, and, B, what time would he have to prepare any kind of comprehensive plan while he's preparing for the Wallabies World Cup? Like That just doesn't make any sense. And... Uh, you could say what you want about Eddie and incompetence and things like that. But one thing I don't think you can accuse him of is not trying his hardest, is is not doing what he thinks is best for the team that he's coaching, right? You can say that those decisions were wrong and they were stupid and it's easy to say in hindsight. Uh, and some of them was easy to say at the time that you just don't agree with these decisions. But that's a beautiful thing about our countries is that you can say stuff like that. But uh, I don't think anyone could ever say, he is purposefully losing. He's sabotaging Australia, or he's not trying as hard as right. He hasn't been preparing as hard and been getting the players to prepare as hard as they can. I don't think anyone could say that. So I don't think there's any conceivable way he could have done an interview to the scale that was suggested um, that he had done during World Cup preparations. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I I don't think there's there's not a a belief in my mind that he did an interview. I agree with what I reckon. It was a phone call that, again, Chinese Whispers turns it into an interview where it was Japan yeah. Rugby calling, just saying, hey, Eddie, we know Jamie Joseph's going, going. we haven't found a suitable replacement. 
thoughts on this, thoughts on that, thoughts on this. And Eddie yeah. Jones, you know off the top of his head, has answers. Like, there is, he's quick-witted, he's smart, there is no doubt about that. And as you said, I don't think a coach talks up a big, a big game like Eddie does and was doing at the Rugby World Cup. Like, he guaranteed a win against Wales. Again, we know it didn't happen. But you don't do that if you've got a backup plan ready to go. Like, what's the point? You just go in yeah. there, you do your bits and pieces, you, you get in, you do a very Dave Rennie type interview, head down, ass up, get the do- job done, head out. Um, so I just, yeah, like yeah. you said, I think he definitely was putting everything on the line when he was coaching the Wallabies. Um, I just think it was a call that's Chinese whispered along. But again, yeah, as as we've said, the, the, that doesn't help the situation when you've got a team struggling, when you've made some picks that, as you said, in hindsight, consider risky. It's a couple of things like that. Yeah, can can turn into the issue that we have, which is in October 29th, the official resignation or the um, announcement that Eddie's going to step down at the end of November um, occurs. So Eddie is officially resigning as the mm. Wallabies rugby world, uh, rugby rugby coach, um, which you know is a ten month stint where signed a five year contract. Now it's led to believe again from. Um, what we've heard that it was a pretty mutual agreement, so Australian rugby don't take a heavy loss if they were to have fired him from the five-year yeah. contract and have to pay him out, which, again, Eddie, um, a bit like, as we'll talk about Hamish McLennan soon, falling on his sword in the end and going, look, I tried something, it didn't work, I gave some players a chance, hopefully in the future they'll uh, shine, and uh, this will all look really good on me, and uh, I'll be given a whole bunch of credit for that. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's a... It again goes to the thing I was saying, like the, their plans may have been wrong, but they had good intentions. They had their intentions were for the betterment of Australian rugby. Um, and you know, shortly after Eddie steps down, or three weeks after Hamish, we, in the coup we just talked about sort of a bit before, um, some state unions got enough votes together, called an extraordinary meeting, and Hamish resigned. Was was um, stood down as chair and then chose to resign from the board. Um, and then a couple of days later, a uh, fellow board, or it might have been the same day, sorry, Daniel Herbert um, takes over as as chair. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the things that were McLennan's downfall was towards the end, particularly once Australia got the 2027 World Cup, once he got Eddie, I think he got a bit of infectiousness from Eddie that of, of mouthing off a bit, you know? Um that, uh, you know, once he got the Suali'i thing, he thought he had all this money to play with and he, think that he, th- he thought that gave him a lot of power and he started a war of words with Rugby League, which was totally unnecessary, right? You could have just taken the win of getting Suali'i over and just enjoyed that. You don't need to start a war of words there because the, the media is going to be inherently on League's side because League is the revenue earner for them. Like, League is the main product for a lot of media stations, right? So they're inherently going to be biased towards the league. The coverage is never going to be positive for union unless you're getting ex- good on-the-field results, you know? Anything that is non-on-field results is never going to be portrayed well by the Australian media for union, right? So that was unnecessary. And then I think he showed a bit too much ego in trying to get the centralization thing done of basically saying to the state unions, my way or the highway, and I think that 
view wasn't appreciated, and I don't. And I think it was undermining Phil Ward's message of unity. It was, you know, you, you can have two ways of looking at centralization. It's you've got the king on top and all the subjects underneath him, or you've got the collective with a central administrating body. And I think that's Phil Ward's vision there, is in the nucleus of Rugby Australia surrounded by the protons and neutrons of the state unions coming together to form the atom of Australian rugby. And then there's what the state unions feared under Hamish McLennan, which is Game of Thrones, Joffrey on the throne and everyone else below him getting tortured and shit uh, and, and not holding their best interests at heart. So, I, I you know, it, it's sad, particularly given, he, as we said, what he has achieved for Rugby Australia, but it was necessary. Yeah, I agree. Um, and again, we haven't talked much about centralisation just because, again, not everything's been finalised. There's a lot still outstanding what's going to come from that. Um, he mm. obviously started those conversations and Phil Wars picked them up and run with them, I'd say, and uh, has got a bit yeah. further with them. But, yeah, it's... As a good flanker does. As, as a good flanker does. He's pilfered, and, he's pilfered, he's pilfered <laughs> the idea and he's running for the trial line. And, and another good... Uh, I guess signing um, Daniel Herbert taking over as a former Wallaby mm. again. So again, it's going to be that trust between the unions, be trust between the teams and Australian rugby to go. Hey, we can we can deliver this. We've got the guys now who can deliver this, who are interested in your best interests, not just Australian rugby's mm. best interests, but um, each um, state's best interest as well. But that is kind of the t- tumultuous reign of Hamish McLennan, at least, and the mm. from 2020, start of 2020, to where we are now, Australian rugby, what's happened, disasters along the way, um, not-so-disasters along the way as well. You know, there's still, obviously, they've brought in the 2027 World Cup. Like you said, there's the British and Irish Lions now to look forward to, then the 2027 World Cup, then we've even got the Olympics in Brisbane. There's a lot to look forward to of Australian rugby, and it's just getting started, and... If they can deliver on what we, again, is going to be their best opportunity in Super Rugby for a long time, you know, a year after a Rugby World Cup um, with the exodus of All Blacks players and not such a big exodus of Wallabies players, can they deliver at least some some results to to kind of push and spur that on? Um, And how do they go about building the centralisation? There's a lot still to be excited about. If anything, there's been a sort of... uh there's a clean slate for Wallabies players. So uh, people that were on the outer with Eddie could be back in. Uh, you know, we got, um, I, I, I don't think the, uh, and I, I can't wait to see him play. I think the Miles Amatocero signing is a big one for, you know, a big lock that is necessary for the Waratahs for Australian rugby as well. Um, you know, because Skelton and Arnold, both Arnold's are aging. You know, you need that next generation. You need a, another youthful lock in there um you know sorting out our center situation uh i think with corabetti going um as sad as that is that opens the window for Corey tool to get a crack at the wallabies which i i would have thought he'd more than earned his space on the team uh after his super rugby year but i guess another year under his belt can't hurt uh, and i'd love to see him in wallabies colors because i think he is uh i think he's m- made of the stuff that makes a wallaby you know uh he's He's a little bit undersized, but he's tough. Um, he's creative. Um, he can make things happen. And um, he, he's gutsy and believes in himself. So I think that makes a great Wallaby. So I'd love to see him in Wallaby's colors. You know, all sorts of things. Like there's a, there's, there's a chance here, and it's really going to depend on who the new coach is to 
refresh Australian rugby. You know, we've got the finances right. Let's get the let's get the team right now. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, that has been the that rugby podcast. Catching you up on all things Australian rugby over the past three, four years. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back again with your regular rugby news next week. But for now, we will say goodbye. Peace.